pleasure here. You can be seated. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online as well. Uh, before we get started, though, real quick, uh, I want to give you just a quick Maui missions update because I want to have Steve White come up and share an update on the Philippines uh, missions. So Pastor Steve Santos wanted me to ask you to please pray specifically for the teams that are there on the ground and the Lahaina residents and families. And here's why. Uh, they've opened it back up and they're going back into the areas where this all happened. And uh, most of them have not yet been back to whatever's left of their homes in Lahaina and are going now for the first time. And it is really, really hard. So please pray for them. Um, pray for the teams that are on the ground that are assisting them. Uh, Steve also wanted me to tell you, he said, I'm going to actually read it because he says, please tell your people, you're my people. <laughs> Thank you from the bottom of my heart for praying for Kim and I for Calvary Chapel West Side and for the people of Lahaina. You have no idea how much of a difference it's made uh, coming alongside this uh, uh, Church Ohana and this precious pastor and his wife. So with that, we'll go ahead and have Steve come up at this time. Um, I have two friends, Steve Santos and Steve White. They're both named Steve. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. Oh, here, let me, I've got to do this for him because... It's all right. I don't mind. Mission control. Yeah. This is classified, so. <laughs> all right. Well, maganang umaga sa inyong lahat. Good morning to you all. Don't worry, I won't uh, speak in Tagalog this morning. But anyways, it's so good to be back with the body of Christ here in Kaneohe. Um, it's been, uh, I was last here in February, and with my wife and daughter, uh, I came uh, independent this time as the kids are still in school. Uh, but it's, it's good to get back. I've been spending this last week getting uh, refreshed and immersed in God's Word and uh, ready to go back here in another week. So um, this past week, I've been studying in the book of Corinthians, chapter 12, 1 Corinthians, chapter 12. And um, Paul explains in that chapter how the body of Christ is made up of many members, and we cannot exist without the other. Each one of us plays an essential role in the body of Christ, which is the church, right? Each one of us is necessary for the work that God does in us and through us. So on behalf of the Philippine ministry, I just want to thank all of you for your active part in the body of Christ, for loving on us with your prayers and your loving support. Um, with the last update that I sent this past July, um, which is out there in the foyer, uh, if you want to grab a copy of it, this thing here, and, and on the back of it, there's a, a list of prayer requests that I had, had, had put down. And um, as God is, he hears our prayer and he answers prayer. And I'll just remind you, as it says in James chapter 5, verse 16, 
The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, I am blessed to report that our prayers have availed much. Um, my first prayer request on this, this uh, update was that we'd be praying for the opportunity to expand the classrooms during the summer break. Um, the existing classrooms, when they were initially built, were real small. We could only host up to 15 students in some of the classrooms. But he blessed us, and we were able to double the size of those classrooms so we can now host 30 students per classroom for the elementary grade levels. And last year, our enrollment was 229 students, and this year, we're almost at 300. So praise God for the increase. So very blessed with that. In addition, we added a new science lab at the school, which is a requirement for DEP-ED there in the Philippines for the high school kids. And so we have that. We're able to remodel our library and computer lab as a bonus. I mean, just all glory to God. Uh, another prayer request was for um, new air conditioning units. The units that we had in each of those classrooms were well over 10 years old. They were hand-me-down units from a, a former resort there on the island, and they're all window units, and basically they were using electricity and, and not really doing anything. And so we were able to uh, bless each classroom with a new split aircon unit so the kids don't have to sweat while they're in the classroom. And again, just another wonderful blessing to answer prayer. Um, for our indigenous Ati tribal school on the neighboring island of Panay, um, when that, uh, the office was initially built, uh, when we, the school first began, we had about 12 students there in the Ati tribe. And the, by the end of that year, the school had doubled in size to 24, right? We have well over 200 students there now. But the original ceiling that was built over 10 years ago was made out of wood. Well, termites, they really have a field day there, and they were spending more time in the office than we were. So we demolished that ceiling during the summer, and we were able to pour a concrete cement ceiling and flooring. So that was a huge blessing and answered prayer as well. So praise God on that. Um, as well as our schools are kind of transitional schools for teachers. Um, uh, the, the teachers that go to school get their teaching degree and want to be teachers. Uh, the public schools pay about three times the salary and wages that us as a private school can pay. But the public schools will not accept them unless they've had two years of, of experience. So they come to us, and they get their two years of experience, and then they move on. So this last summer, we had 11 teachers that were moving on, and we needed 11 new teachers. And praise God, he filled the gaps. We got 11 of those new teachers and, and three more staff. So praise God to that. And then also, we've been having a pastoral ministry there that began, I think it's been nine years ago, and the pandemic, it got disrupted. Um, we were able to restart again this past March. And every month, we have pastors and church leaders from the surrounding region come and spend two and a half days on the island. And we fly in professors from Manila that it, and give them a formal seminary uh, degree. That it actually, over the course of four years, coming once a month, 
they can earn a, a seminary degree and get that formal training. So that has been ongoing and, and thriving. We're having well over 100 pastors and church leaders each month. So thank you for that. And then lastly, one of the, the biggest burdens on my heart down there has been found in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 2, when Jesus said, the harvest is truly great, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. A few years ago, I was appointed as director of the ministry down there. And that day that that happened, I turned to my wife, Herlin, and said, we need to start praying for more workers. Um, we oversee as a whole almost 900 people between the two schools, pastoral ministries, the feeding sites, and now a college ministry as well. So praise God, answered prayer once again. This past September, God sent us Joey and Eileen Del Rosario from Manila to help mentor the Ati tribal students as they begin their journey through college. We now have 25 Ati tribal students going to college, which is amazing. This is a people group that has been discriminated against by society because of the color of their skin and their kinky hair. They're the original Filipinos on that island. And in fact, they inhabited Boracay and were forced off the island because of the development of resorts and economy. And so they're kind of a, a migrant people group and they, they moved to the, the mainland and that's where we planted a school there 10 years ago. And now we're serving, like I said, over 200 students. And this is the second year that we've had college students. So Joey and Eileen, praise God for them. Joey is a, a Filipino born and raised in America who moved to Manila a little over a year ago. And his wife is born and raised Filipina there in Manila. She has a doctorate in education uh, in linguistics. So perfect for us to train up the Zati to uh, learn the English language because at the college, that's all they speak is English, the professors. So uh, praise God for them. And so God just continues to bless the ministry in ways we never imagined. And it's amazing how he works uh, through his people while creating opportunities to fortify the body of Christ. And so thank you all for your prayers and loving support. Uh, without you, we could not do it. So, maraming, maraming salamat sa ingang lahat. To God be the glory. Thank you. <laughs> oh, man. I love that guy. God always provides, yeah. All right, we're going to finish Second John today. All right, that's a good attitude. So our text will be verses 10 through 13. It's not even a letter. It's someone called it a postcard. So we're going to finish the postcard, John's second postcard, uh, 13 verses. So I'm going to ask you to stand if you're able. You can follow along as I read. If not, where you're seated is just fine. John is writing by the Holy Spirit, and he continues in verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, speaking of the sound doctrine and teaching of Jesus Christ, do not take him into your house or welcome him. Anyone who welcomes him shares in his wicked work. I have much to write, verse 12, to you, but 
I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children, verse 13, of your chosen sister send their greetings. Let's pray. If you would, please join with me. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this portion that we have here in your word before us today. Lord, we uh, once again would posture ourselves humbly before you and acknowledge, readily admit our need for you to teach us by the Holy Spirit and open our eyes to what you want us to see here in this passage here at the end of this letter. So Lord, we're going to ask you to speak in that still, small, refining voice of the Holy Spirit. And it's up to the Holy Spirit, Lord, to get our attention, myself included, and keep it so that our minds don't wander, as they're so often prone to. We don't want to be distracted by anything, and there's so much to be distracted by in our lives in this world today with the stress and just the cares and the affairs of this life. So many things clamoring for our attention. Well, we want to give you our undivided attention today so that you can speak into our lives. So will you do that, Lord? We're asking you, speak. Your servants are listening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So I want to talk with you today about how it is and why it is that we as Christians should make every effort to avoid misunderstandings. And this because the Apostle John, by the Holy Spirit, brings his second letter to an end in a most interesting way as it relates to this matter, and not so easily seen at first read. I mean, it's, you know, your standard, at least he ended this letter differently than the, you remember how he ended his first letter? Keep yourself away from idols. Bye. At least here we got, you know, send greetings and we got a nice ending. But, but that's the thing about the ending of a letter, even the beginning of a letter, by the way, we, we, we tend to read past and fast the beginning and the end. It's just the formality. Let's get to the meat. Let's cut to the chase, which by the way is a, <laughs> an old film uh, saying. Back, you young people will have no clue, that's all right. But they used to have film that they would cut the scenes and edit. And so they would cut to the chase scenes. That's where that, that was no extra charge, by the way, cut to the chase. So yeah, so he, he's going to cut to the chase, I guess you might say. But he wants us to see something here that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write here at the end. Let's not read past and fast this ending, because there's something here for us today. I'm going to refer to them as cautionary exhortations, cautionary 
exhortations. Again, coming from the apostle of love, who loves enough to caution, to warn, to exhort, to correct, to rebuke, because he cares. And so he's, he's warning them, us today, as he did them then, to be very careful about allowing people into our homes who are false teachers that bring a false substitute Jesus, like we talked about last week. And he also, in so doing, provides us by the Holy Spirit, these cautionary exhortations concerning, preferably, avoiding misunderstandings. But he even as we get to the end, will also provide us with what we can do to clear up a misunderstanding that for whatever reason we were unable to avoid, in as much as it lies within us, in as much as we're able. Because sometimes <laughs> there's just a misunderstanding. You want to try to clear it up. So we've kind of covered both sides. I'm going to use a an illustration. I hope you like it. If you don't, I'm sorry. Build a bridge. Get over it. Uh, it's a car illustration, and I think it will make sense in a moment. So, you know, back in the 80s, when I was in the car business and working for Mercedes-Benz, Mercedes was on the cutting edge of this new technology called anti-lock braking system, also known as ABS. This is the 80s we're talking about. So this is, man, this is amazing technology. So I went to Germany to the, to the factory. I had won a trip, you know, uh, with Mercedes, uh, on Mercedes, paid by, <laughs> by Mercedes anyway. So I'm sorry, I had a flashback. I'm, it was so cool, man, on the Autobahn. Cars are going in the same direction. Uh, this is my kind of place, 180. So that's going the same direction. Cars going the other direction, you don't even see them. There's no speed limits. Anyway, again, I'm sorry, I digress, but I, I do have a great illustration here, okay? So anti-lock brake system. So this is what it was at that time and what we were taught about it. It's a safety feature that, you know how when, of course, in, in Hawaii, unless you're from the mainland, you've driven on snow. You know how you have to pump your brakes so that they don't lock and you don't slide and lose control? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> that worked when I lived on the mainland. So what anti-lock braking system does, it's a technology computerized that pulsates 15 times per second the brakes so they don't lock up so that you don't lose control. I, I sold you right there, didn't I? I'm not even in the business anymore. Wow. Anyway, so it's what they call an active safety feature. Stay with me. I'm taking you on the scenic route. We'll get there. An active safety feature activates to keep you out of an accident to avoid an accident. Okay, John's going to provide us some active safety features to avoid a misunderstanding. Now let's say that you end up in an accident anyway. Well then that's where the airbag comes in. 
It's not an active safety feature, it's a passive safety feature. So the anti-lock brakes, ABS, is there to keep you out of the accident. The airbag is there as a passive safety feature to protect you in the event of an accident. Was that good? I thought so. I'm glad you liked it. Even if you didn't, I still, I'm still, I still think it was pretty good. So why do I preface it this way? Because John is going to give us some active safety features to avoid the accident of a misunderstanding. But he's also going to give us an airbag, <laughs> not a hot airbag or windbag. You already got one of those. But he's going to give us a passive safety feature that's there in the event that we're unable to avoid the accident of a misunderstanding. So that was my introduction. You ready? Or do you want to leave? We're going to bow our heads. Our first one is in verse 10. Avoid certain associations. Now here, John makes it very clear that we're not to be welcoming of or associated with those who want to bring false teachings into our homes. Doubtless the Mormon and the Jehovah Witness come to mind. Now stay with me because this is important. This is applicable to us in our day. We're not to welcome them in our homes because they they're bringing a false Jesus. And now look at what that looks like. If you're welcoming of them, I guess it would be akin to saying to someone who's not a Christian, hey, God bless you, brother. They're not your brother. It, it, we're not to, how can two walk together lest they be agreed? Almost 3-3. Three, three. We're going to see in a moment here, you, you cannot be in fellowship with them. You cannot share the same Jesus with them. And that's not to say that you don't share the true Jesus with them. You just don't give them your living room or your dining room table to bring their false Jesus, their substitute Jesus into your home. Be very careful with the associations that you have. That doesn't mean that we live these monastic lives. We're in the world, but not of the world. This is why I believe it is a great error. <laughs> we err greatly when we only want to do business with Christians. Well, then how are we going to be salt and light? True story, many years ago, I, uh, you talked about the, Steve, the, these are my people too, the curly hair, the, the real, yeah. <laughs> I used to have a bunch of it on top. But back in the day, I used to have the hardest hair to cut. And I know that because the people that would cut my hair never wanted me to come back to cut my hair. And true story, I walked in. It said, walk, big sandwich sign, walk-ins welcome. I thought, okay, so I had a big afro. I walked in, said, we're booked. Wow. So anyway, I just got this weird hair. And it's just, you know, it's not fun. And so I had to call because the guy that used to do it, actually a good friend of mine, he was the only one willing to. He left and moved. And so I'm looking for a new hairdresser. We don't call them barbers anymore, I guess. I mean, they might still, but a hairdresser. 
So I'm calling around saying, hey, listen, I've got this weird hair. You know, I'm from the Middle East, and it's, uh, it's really hard to cut, I've been told. And Do you have somebody that's experienced there in your shop that I could come in and make an appointment? Because uh, I need a haircut. That's when I had hair to cut. And uh, she, the, ga- the gal on the phone said, by the way, as a matter of fact, I do. And so I set up an appointment with her. And I went in, and she cut my hair, did a really good job, by the way. And I started sharing the Lord with her. And she got saved. Imagine that. Imagine if I'd had a Christian directory of all the Christian hairdressers. We only do business with Christians. Wow. Why don't you just go live on a commune? How's that working out for you, by the way? You'll be homicidal and suicidal by the time. Why do you think persecution came when they were staying in Jerusalem and not going to Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth as they had been commanded? (laughs) They're not leaving. They're stuck there. They're They're not willing. They're only doing business with Christians. How are we going to get the gospel out? We'll start persecuting them and it'll scatter them. I like how one Christian pastor said it. Very good. Better than my car illustration, by the way. He said, please don't take offense to this. And if you do, I didn't say it. I plagiarized it. Christians are like manure. No, wait, wait. Clumped up together, they stink. Spread them out, they fertilize. I wish I had thought of that one. I mean, that's, like a, that's way better than mine, right? But that's the whole point. I mean, hey, we want to win the Mormon to Jesus, the true Jesus. We want to win the Jehovah Witness to the true Jesus. But that's not how you do it. Because then you're giving them a false representation that they're good and they're not. Just by virtue of the fact that you're associating with them, you're giving them the impression that, hey, we worship the same God. No, we don't. Well, can I just come in and and share with you from the Book of Mormon with your family? This is actually true too. Not that I'm telling you stuff that's not true. Don't you hate it when somebody says, can I be honest with you? You're like, You've been dishonest with me up this whole time? Let me try that again. Many years ago, true story, is that better? Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses would come down. The Mormons didn't, for whatever reason, I don't know. I think somebody said, don't go to that house. But the Jehovah Witnesses never got that memo. So they would show up and they'd walk up. (laughs) And they struck my address from their list and never came back again because I did not welcome them in. I said, hey, hi, hey. I said, hey, what are you doing? Oh, we just wanted to give you the watchtower thing and tell you about the, you know. By the way, you know, this is sad, actually. That's how they earned their salvation. It's works. They have to do. In Hawaii, when it's, there's no trade winds, and they, they've got those Mormons. I feel so sorry for them. They got to wear that shirt buttoned up with a tie. And it's so hot. And they're on a bike with no AC. Steve, you even hand me down AC. 
You know why they're doing that? They have to. So I'm not going to welcome them in. But at the same time, I want them to know about the true Jesus. So I'm not going to tell you what I do, because first of all, don't do what I do. <laughs> do what I say, don't do what I do. Uh, but I've gotten better. Of course, they don't come back anymore, so I'm a little rusty. But towards the end, I would just tell them, you know, um, the Jesus that you're wanting to tell me about is not the Jesus of the Bible, because the Jesus of the Bible is God. And I know that you've probably had dialogues with Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, the common denominator of which is that Jesus is Lord, Savior, Christ, all the above. But ask them, is Jesus God? And they will not agree. They'll disagree. So what are you doing welcoming them in? And by the way, they're always going to bring an expert with them. And you can always tell, they call them scriptologists in Mormonism. <laughs> this is the guy that has been highly trained. So he, they know our Bible better than the Christians know their own Bible. They already know the exact questions that we're going to ask and how to answer them to lead us astray. To, did you know that the Mormon Jesus, I, I don't want to take this too far, but just to put it into perspective how serious this is and why it rises to the level of John warning us and cautioning us concerning welcoming people like this into our homes. It was the Gnostics in his day. It's the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses in our day. Did you know that the Mormons teach that Jesus, the Jesus of Mormonism is the half-brother of Lucifer? Come on. And I'm going to welcome you in? I don't think so. Don't give them a platform. This is talking about at the individual level, because that's what they used to do in that day. They would go from house to house. Now it's a different world we live in. But it's still, what kind of uh, friends do you have on social media? What are you allowing them to post on your platform? Are you liking it? Are you agreeing with it? Are you like, hey, praise God, brother. They're not your brother. They're not your sister. Praise Jesus. It's the wrong Jesus. You, you don't want to be associated with that. You don't want to have that association. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Especially younger Christians are so vulnerable. And the enemy knows it, by the way. You got a huge target on your back. These guys are pros. They're so good at what they do. They know they can prey on a young, vulnerable believer that is ill-equipped when it comes to the Word of God. So when they start talking stuff like, oh, you're going to have this warm feeling in your bosom. Do you feel it? I don't know. Let me see. Where's that in here? Is it's not who are you talking about? What are you talking about? Why are you still talking about it? <laughs> Have you heard the saying, if you lie down with dogs, you're going to come up with fleas? Oh, you didn't like that one that much? That's fine. 
Listen to 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. This is an agricultural term. They would take the oxen and they would put the yoke around them. If you've got an unequal yoke, you'll kill the weaker that's yoked together with the stronger. Don't be yoked together. Don't come together with them. Welcome them in. And here's why. For what do righteousness and wickedness, wickedness have in common? Stay tuned. John's going to talk about it in a second. What do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I can't be in agreement with you. I cannot walk in agreement with you. I cannot be welcoming of you. I cannot even be associated with you. Because that would be disingenuous at best and dishonest at worst, because I don't want to give you or anyone else the impression that the Jesus you are talking about is the same Jesus of the Bible that I know personally. Well, now he's going to take it even further in verse 11. And this cautionary exhortation is avoid appearances of evil. Now, John explains what I like to call the why behind the what of being guilty by association by virtue of the appearance. Now, stay with me. In other words, you know, you know what I mean by guilty by association? So just by virtue of the fact that you have this association with them, you've uh, appeared with them, you seem to be in agreement with them, then John pulls no punches. And for John to say it as strong as he does says something. Because he basically says, if you welcome a false teacher with a false substitute Jesus into your home, or God forbid, into your pulpit, pastor, not only will it have the appearance of complicity, but you will actually be sharing in their wickedness, sharing in their wickedness. You're complicit with, associated with someone who has a different Jesus, and now you're guilty by association. And look at the appearance of that. The appearance of and the sharing in wickedness and evil. Listen to Proverbs 13, 20. A man's character is known by the kind of company he keeps. Let that sink in. Who? who ah, I better not. I want to, but I'm not going to. First Thessalonians 5.22, that was a close call. Listen to Paul. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Don't just abstain from evil. Abstain from anything that would hint of it. Appear like it. Stay as far away and abstain from anything that would even give the appearance of evil. Because people are watching. And they, they see who you associate with, who you hang out with, who you're friends with. And if you're known by the company you keep and the friends that you have and the associations that you're <laughs> complicit with now, 
Then all of a sudden, what about this new believer over here? How stumbled are they? Because they saw you with them doing that? Well, I need to, before I get to this third one, just everybody calm down for a second here, okay? I Just wait. This is the third, and I want to spend the remainder of our time on this for what I think might be deemed obvious reasons. We want to avoid the misunderstandings, right? So we avoid certain associations, we avoid any appearance of evil, but if at all possible, avoid sending an email. How did you get that out of verses 12 and 13? I'm so glad you asked. Pastors couldn't do it, you know. Well, he says, uh, you know, I've got a lot more that I'd like to email you, I mean, write you about, but I don't want to use pen and paper or ink and paper, you know, back in that day. You know, sometimes it's just, it's so much, it's too much for an email, certainly a text, not necessarily an emoji. Don't you just love emojis? Man, you heard that phrase, a picture's worth a thousand words. Sometimes I think an emoji is worth 10,000 words, just an emoji. Huh, we're good. It's just an emoji. I have, I have all kinds, and they're coming out with more all the time. Have you noticed this? Just emoji. That's what we've been reduced to. <laughs> Let me explain this, and some of you are looking at me like you've got some splaining to do. I'm going to try. See, you can't see the person if they send you an email face to face. And this is what John is saying. He said, there's so much I want to, but I, I don't want to do it by email or even by phone for that matter. I want to come see you face to face. Because see, when you're, you've, you've all heard the statistics on retention, the percentages, you know, how much is communicated by way of body language, how much is communicated by way of a phone call, but there's nothing that equals face to face, eyeball to eyeball, belly to belly. For me, it's belly to belly more than anything. <laughs> and that's what John's saying. He says, just so there's no misunderstanding, I'm not going to write you this. I'm not going to send you an email. I'm not even going to text. I'm not even going to call you. I'm going to come visit you face to face. Now, I, I'm, I better be really careful here, because I'm a big fan of emails and texts, because I can really think about what I want to say. Whereas if I'm in a conversation, <laughs> have you ever wished you could have unsaid something? <laughs> or how about those times where you wish, man, I wish I would have said that, but it's always too late. It's, you know, and you almost want to send them an email. By the way, I also wanted to, you know, it's too late. So you missed the moment. But this, this is uh, true with emails too. Have you, have you ever regretted an email you didn't send? And conversely, how many times have you regretted pushing send? You know, you can, I, someone told me this. In fact, I saw this uh, recently. You can retract an email after you send it. I mean, there's a certain window of time. But the problem with that is 
you have to send a request. So-and-so would like to retract the email. Why? It's almost worse. Why did you send it in the first place if you want to retract it? But still, there are times, hear me out, there are times when an email is very appropriate, because it does afford you that luxury of being able to think it through. I have a rule that I use. I wish I had learned this earlier. I learned this the hard way, and I have the scars to prove it. You know, it's always a good decision when your only regret is that you didn't do it sooner. I wish I would have learned this sooner. But I don't send an email. I, I save it in my draft folder. And I go to bed, I sleep on it, and I pray about it, and I reread it sometimes more than once before I push send. And oh my goodness, do you know how many times I've just said, thank you, Jesus, that I didn't send that? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a good thing we, we, you and I had a talk before I pushed send. Because in fact, not only am I not going to push send uh, or, or edit it, I'm not going to send it at all. And I'm so glad you stopped me from sending it, because boy, that would have been just so misunderstood. Because you cannot communicate certain things in an email or a text. An emoji, yes, but not a text or an email. They are convenient, granted. And they also provide a digital reference of your communique, and that's a good thing. Nothing wrong. And again, there are times when that is very appropriate and even more appropriate than some sort of a face-to-face. -face. Because, you know, we're all prone. <laughs> in our flesh there dwells no good thing, Paul said. I know that, that what is in within me, laying dormant, just waiting to come out. We're all prone to it. You know, sometimes writing it and sending it, or even a letter. I've done that before. I'll send a letter or write it down and give it to somebody or send an email, because I know that if I'm face to face, that thing's going to go south very fast, because the emotions get involved. And that is a protection, a built-in protection when those times do come. And that's discernment, by the way. The Holy Spirit will give you the discernment. But oftentimes sending that email can lend itself to unnecessary misunderstandings. And I say it that way for a reason. It was so unnecessary, because you, you composed it, you prayed about it, you reread it, you edited it before you sent it, and you knew for sure that you were saying this. But when they got that email, they didn't hear that. They heard this instead. And then they block you on social media, and you really know you got a problem. <laughs> There's been a huge misunderstanding here. I, I, I sent you an email because I wanted to try to explain something. Actually, I sent you an email to clear up a misunderstanding that looks like I made even worse by sending the email. I was trying to clear things up, and I just made it worse. And I think this is really why John says what John says, and why John was inspired to write what he wrote, because when you're face to face, it fosters fellowship. Just something, you know, Steve alluded to it, the, 
So of course, 2020, everything changed, never to be the same again. Everything went virtual. So much was lost. We've talked about it. I won't go into it. I want to, but I won't. The whole social distancing thing goes exactly contrary to the way God made us. When we touch one another, hug one another, it releases oxytocin. It's, a, it's, a, it's that feel-good chemical God-given. And, and they've proven this many times over. Years and years ago in an orphanage, these babies were dying and they couldn't figure out why. And finally somebody, I believe a believer, said, you know what? Nobody's touching them and holding them and carrying them and singing to them and loving on them and nurturing them. They're just stuck there in that little crib. We need human touch. We need human interaction. You know, there's studies done on loneliness. It's deadly. Loneliness, isolation is deadly. It, it, it rewires your brain. If you have no social interaction, and they want us to social distance, and then you can't sing. Did you know that the only time you're using both parts of your brains, guys, this is huge, is when you're singing. Did you know that? Because God wired us. Because what do you think we're going to be doing for all eternity? Worshiping Him. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. That's why music is so powerful. We've talked about that before. So when you're face to face, you're you're, this is the way God designed it. It's, it's touch. It's hugging one another. It's greeting one another with a holy kiss. It's fellowshipping, breaking bread together. It's conducive. It creates an environment that's conducive to clearing up misunderstandings that for whatever reason were not avoided because you sent that stupid email. But again, I can't overstate this. One must seek spiritual discernment and wisdom from above for both, to avoid the misunderstanding in the first place and in the unfortunate event that it can't be avoided, then you need spiritual discernment and wisdom from above to clear up the misunderstanding. In other words, we must discern and decide. And this is again very important. And I'm, this is something I'm still learning. You'd think I'd get it after all these years. I, I'm speaking to myself right now, if you didn't notice. You don't need to even be here. Just, But I, I just, I get kind of drawn in. Because I mean, I'm like the next guy. I'll, I'll roll up my arm sleeves, you know. You on, you, I, you. I like a good fight every once in a while. So let's do this. So I mean, there's my flesh, right? Dormant. I'm so spiritual, sanctified, you know, holy before the service. After church, my wife is so faithful. I know she loves me so much because she speaks the truth to me. And she'll always tell me, wow, pastor. Oh, oh. Uh, see, for you guys, it's, and you call yourself a Christian. Well, for me, and you call yourself a pastor. See, because I know I'm just as prone as the next guy. Somebody comes up, they're not looking for an answer. They're looking for an argument. Now, that's not, that's only half the problem. Here's, here's the problem. 
I'm more than happy to oblige. <laughs> so this is why for me, maybe emails are better. So if you ever get an email from me, praise the Lord for it. Okay. Because if I, man, I, cause you know how calm and docile I am. <laughs> you know, I'm just kind of mundane and No, it is a custom in my country. It's even my language. You know, the Arabic language, you could be talking to somebody just loving words, and it sounds like you're cursing them. Arabic and German, the two roughest languages, and French, so smooth. So that's my story, and I'm sticking with it, man. I, hey, you want to, let's, let's do this. And I should have, I should have, I should have stopped. You know, that saying, I should have quit when I was ahead. But I don't know, you know, because it's supposed to be because I am the pastor. I should have more discernment than that. They're not looking for an answer. They're looking for an argument. And now the onus is on me. Am I going to engage? Because sometimes the adrenaline kicks in. No, let's talk, real talk. The adrenaline. You know what I'm talking about? The adrenaline kicks in, and I mean, you're, <laughs> I better stop right now. I'm getting so convicted. But I mean, you're next thing you know, oh, yeah. And I mean, you're just going, you might win the argument. You've lost the opportunity, and you've destroyed the relationship, perhaps causing irreparable damage. The proverb says it's harder to win an offended brother than it is to take a walled city. We can really hurt people and be a danger to people. You know that saying, what a lie. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. No bigger lie was ever told. The truth of the matter is sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can absolutely devastate you because the life is in the tongue. Life and death is in the tongue. The words we speak, they should be seasoned with grace. But we have to discern, okay, this person, are they genuinely wanting an answer? Because now I'm more than happy to oblige. We talked about that in the update. Be at the ready, be prepared to give to everyone who asks, everyone an answer, who asks for the reason that you have so much hope, because they don't have any hope. So they want what you got, so they're going to ask you about it. And the key to that is that they have to ask. Don't volunteer it. Now we, I think, again, we err greatly when we're, our intentions are right. We're doing the right thing the wrong way. But as salt and light, salt creates thirst. We want to create a curiosity. And they're watching our lives, right? And they're going, man, this, this guy, what is up with him? Everything is crashing down and he's looking up. <laughs> Why are you looking up? You know, like you're at a street corner. We were talking about this first service. You're at a street corner, you know, at an intersection, waiting for the walk to walk. And, and you look up. And what does everybody else do? What are you looking at? And so everybody else around you is freaking out, but you're looking up. Well, I'm just curious. Why? Well, then you answer them. They're genuinely looking for an answer. 
And you need to be prepared to give them that answer for the hope that you have. But if they're looking for an argument, uh, I just haven't seen Pastor Mac or Pastor Leitu. <laughs> so I just outed myself. If, I, if you come to me and say, hey, Pastor Mac, come here. Uh, that's not why. It's probably because I, I really did it, didn't I? It's because I probably have a line of people and I want, want to be sensitive. They've been waiting. And so don't take it personally, <laughs> even after I just outed myself. And thank you, Pastor Mac, for taking care of those uh, things for me. Um, there's the most fast, I'm almost done, by the way. <laughs> but there's something here that I really want to uh, share. And it's a most fascinating account in this regard with the Apostle Paul, who tries to clear up a misunderstanding that he had made every effort to avoid with the church in Corinth. You know, that, those talk about corrective epistles, and those were not postcards. <laughs> they were voluminous, and they were so corrective to this carnal church in Corinth. Well, apparently there was this misunderstanding, and he tries to clear it up. So we'll pick it up. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, our conscience is clear, that we have behaved in the world and still more toward you with holiness and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. In other words, our heart is right and our hands are clean. For we write you nothing, write you nothing, but what you can read and understand. I hope you'll understand fully as you have understood in part that you can be proud of us as we can be of you on the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, you misunderstood what I wrote. So now I want you to understand. You only understand in part. You, you don't fully understand. So let's clear up this misunderstanding. And we still don't know what the misunderstanding was about. And it's ironic, because he's now going to tell us. This whole misunderstanding between Paul and Corinth was ironically about him not coming to visit face to face, as he said he would. And that caused the misunderstanding. Now listen to verses 15 through 17, 2 Corinthians 1. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia, and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? What's Paul saying? Listen, I told you I would come to visit you face to face, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't just say it as Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't be like the world. When you give somebody your word, or you tell someone something. This is a huge thing in Christianity right now. Talk about uh, 
Why did I open up that can? What Paul's saying here is, my heart is right, my conscience is right, and my hands are clean before the Lord. I fully intended on visiting you, but I changed my plans. Now we're going to see why here in a moment. But he's, he's trying to clear up this misunderstanding because they were now falsely accusing him, gossiping, spreading rumors about him. Oh, he had no intentions of visiting. He's not a man of his word. Because he said he was going to come and he didn't. He went back on his word. His yes is a yes and his no is a no. He's, he's someone who cannot be trusted. So this was spreading all around Corinth, all because of this misunderstanding concerning Paul coming and visiting them face to face. So now he's got to clear it up. So here comes the airbag. <laughs> the ABS did not work on this one. So listen to what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 and 24. I call God as my witness. Uh-oh. Picture a courtroom, the defendant, in this case the Apostle Paul, uh, calling a witness to the stand. I call God. <laughs> the prosecuting attorney's going, what? <laughs> okay, that might be a little bit dramatic, but what he's saying is, as God is my witness. We say that phrase, right? God can testify on my behalf that it was in order, listen to this, this is why I didn't come to you guys, visit you face to face. It was in order to spare you. <laughs> wow. Spare us? Yeah. It was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. You know what Paul's saying there? He's saying there's been a huge misunderstanding. You're falsely accusing me of going back on my word by not coming to visit you face to face. But actually, you should be thanking me that I did not come visit you face to face. So I, because I spared you. you. You spared us? Yeah. What did you spare us from? So think this through with me. Would you agree that Paul was probably a very intimidating figure? I mean, Think about Paul walks into the room and everybody stands up, which was actually a custom and a show of respect and honor. Everybody just rise up and, do you know who that, who is that? That's the Apollo Paul. No way, way. Changes the whole complexion and dynamic of the room. So now, and we do this by the way, this is alive and well today, we put them up on a pedestal, and they lord it over us. And Paul knew that. That's called spiritual discernment. He knew that just by virtue of the strength of his personality, he was a strong personality. Ask Barnabas about that in Acts chapter 15. But he knew that if he would have visited them face to face, he would have engaged with them and he made the decision not to, to spare them, because they would have looked to him instead of the Lord. Paul's weight and word would carry more weight than God's word. 
And he knew that. And he didn't want that. And it was kind of like this. We work with you. You don't work for us. We work with you. I'm not your boss. And if I come and visit you face to face, and I say something, you're, you're, you're going to do it because of who I am. And I don't want it to be like that. We don't lord it over you. We work with you. You don't work for me. I work with you. So that's one. And besides that, I don't want to be a hindrance. Because you're looking to me instead of the Lord. I don't want your faith to be in me. I want your faith to be in Jesus. And if I come, I'm going to be a hindrance to that because of how you look at me and the way you look at me too. (laughs) Kind of like you look at me right now. But he expounds further by telling them that essentially had he visited Corinth again face to face, it would have made things worse than they already were. And again, this is discernment. And I'm going to use his words, and then I'm going to read the text. He uses words like, I'm going to to spare you of pain, distress, anguish, and grief, because I love you. So, oh, he must not love us. He's not willing to come visit us face to face. No, actually, you don't want me to. And the Lord doesn't want me to, more importantly. And so I'm going to spare you. And because I love you enough, in lieu of coming to visit you, I'm going to write you instead. I mean, it's almost the antithesis, the flip side of what John was wanting to do. Let me read 2 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 4, and I think it'll all come together and we'll close. So, Paul writing, clearing it up. I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. I spared you of it. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I know that and discern that had I come to visit you, I would have just made it more painful, because apparently the last time he visited, it was not a pleasant experience. So I I don't want to cause you more pain. I realize I'm I'm a strong personality. I pull no punches. I know that I've been very blunt with you, Corinth. But I love you. If I didn't love you, I I wouldn't bother with you. But I love you enough to spare you of another painful visit. And I don't want to grieve you. I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I should not be distressed. Listen, if I knew Paul was coming, that would stress me out so much. I, just that alone. I, I don't want to cause you any more stress. You guys are already under, under enough self-imposed stress. I don't want to add to your stress. I, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I don't want to stress you out or or cause you stress. I want to bring you joy and have it reciprocated. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you, listen to verse 4. This is the heart of the Apostle Paul, who I think gets a lot of bad press, by the way. This was a man who wept 
day and night for three years, knowing that wolves would come in from amongst their own midst and not spare the flock, drawing disciples unto themselves. He loved God's people so much. We don't see Paul like that. We see Paul as the man in your face. Oh yeah, you want to visit face to face? No, that's okay. I'm good. He's in your face. Why is he so in your face? Because he loves you. That's why. And listen to what he says here. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. In other words, you guys, listen, it was good that I didn't come and visit again. It would have just made things worse. It would have caused you pain. It would have been very stressful for you. I don't want to do that to you. I love you. So instead of coming, I'm writing to you. But as I'm writing, I want you to know that I'm soaking the letter, the parchment, with my tears as I write this. You ever compose an email and just wept through the whole thing? I sure have. It's the hard thing, but it's the right thing. And you do it because you love the person enough to do it. And how about the anguish of heart? You know what anguish of heart is? Deep anguish of the soul. I mean, the, the, the intense emotions. We, we don't see Paul like that. We see him like this hardened. But no, he's got a big heart for God and for God's people and God's church. He's got a soft heart. He's got the height of a rhinoceros, <laughs> but he's got a soft heart. And this was key. I almost get the impression that it was keeping him up at night. You know how that is, right? I wrote you out of great distress. You know how it is? You know it's not right, and you can't sleep because you've got to make it right. I'm just going to be open with you and share with you that there have been many times, more often than I care to admit, that I've composed emails at two o'clock in the morning, just because the Lord was not letting my heart get settled until that got settled. There's been times where, just even in my parenting, where I've, I've just had to, I, and here I, pastor, trying to prepare a sermon, and the Holy Spirit's going, what are you doing? Well, I'm the pastor, I'm preparing a sermon. Um, I don't think you handled that very well with your daughter. And for the life of me, if my life depended on it, I could not come up with even a two-point sermon, let alone three. So I have to get up, humble myself, go down, ask my daughter to forgive me. And it's kind of like the heavens open up, because I made, I made it right. And that's what Paul's doing. I'm not going to be able to concentrate, forget sleep. This thing is just causing me great distress and grief and sorrow and anguish of heart. And isn't it true, and I'll end with this, isn't it true that the people that you love the most are the ones that not only will you hurt the most, but that hurts you the most? 
See, if somebody I don't know or love or, you know, they, they can say it's kind of like, Pfft. just like that. You have to get the shoulder motion in there. It's, it's like water off a duck's back. Is that the saying, right? But when it's somebody that you love deeply, and you know you've grieved them, caused pain to them, you love them so much. In fact, okay, this will officially be the last thing that I'll close with. This is really important because it ties everything together. You know when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments? You know how that works? It's wrapped up in the person of Joseph. When Potiphar's wife is seducing him every single day, and what does Joseph say? I can't do that to God. I love God too much. I, that would hurt God's heart so much. I would grieve the heart of God. I can't do that. I can't do that to your husband, my boss. But moreover, I can't do that to God. That's the fear of the Lord, by the way. You fear doing anything that would grieve the heart of God. Well, you love Him so much, you could not do anything. I love my wife so much. I would never want to do anything to her. Okay. Now I smudged my mascara. I said I would close. So stand up, and Capone is going to come up, and thank you for your patience and your grace. You're very gracious to me. I think when you get to heaven, you're going to get extra treasures up there, because they're going to ask you, they're going to say, wait, you went to Pastor J.D.'s church? Hall. Oh. Enter in. <laughs> well done. Wow. Okay, no, that, that's not actually <laughs> going to happen. Father in heaven, uh, thank you. <laughs> Lord, I hope in some way that, especially for anyone who might be here today or watching online or listening by some other way, that's really struggling right now and greatly distressed like Paul was over this. And like John, wanting to see them face to face and make sure that there was no misunderstanding, because he was pretty hard and strong and warning them. Lord, I just pray for anyone that might be in the middle of a huge misunderstanding that like everything they try to do to clear it up only makes it worse. Lord, I just pray for discernment, for grace, wisdom from above that's first pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without hypocrisy or partiality, bearing fruit unto righteousness. Lord, give them that wisdom from above, that discernment, not even what they should say, but how they should say what they should say, and, and the way that they're to say it. And then go before them in resolving the conflict and clearing up the misunderstanding. Lord, thank you. The, the portions like this in your word are, oh, it's life. This is the bread of life. So thank you, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Worthy of all praise, and my heart will sing.
How great is our God. Name above all names. Worthy of all praise. And my heart will sing how great is our God, how great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, all will see how great, how great is our God. How great is our God, sing with me, how great is our God, all will see how great, how great is our God, all will see how great how great is our God. Amen. Great is our God. God bless you.